0: Mark chapter 7 verse 24 through to chapter 8 verse 26. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the little children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. To their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon down the, to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of, of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could barely talk, hardly talk and they begged him to place his hand on the man. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh said to him, I can't say that, sorry, (laughs) be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they did so. They had a small fish, a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed discussed this with one another and said, it is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of, of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then, he, then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Jesus sent him home, saying, Don't go into the village.
1: Gracious God, God. And uh, most merciful Heavenly Father, Uh, we come before you with a uh, uh, regard and the highest respect for yourself and your word, and we do pray that uh, you would uh, enlighten us, um, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to believe, and we pray that um, you would free us from those things. would otherwise distract us, help us to concentrate on your word, and grant us uh, your spirit, uh, who uh, works that miraculous uh, faith uh, that uh, changes our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you might want to open up your Bibles at Mark chapter 7, and uh, as we have a look at that today, Mark chapter 7, verse 24. This week in Canberra, there was a church service held uh, in order to mark the opening for the year of the ACT Legislative Assembly. Now, a church service, what's the most important thing about a church service? Uh, it ought to be focused on Jesus, is that right? If it's a Christian uh, service, it ought to be focused on Jesus and who he is, what he's done for us and how we ought to respond to him. But the the spiritual leaders who were invited to take part in helping to lead this service in Canberra uh, were not all Christians. Uh, In fact, they uh, invited others to help lead the service. Uh, The leaders of the Baha'i faith were invited to help lead the service. Now, Baha'is, they believe that, uh, that there is no absolute truth about God that uh, your opinion about God is just as uh, valuable as anyone else's opinion about God, that all roads, all spiritualities lead to the same in point to God. If you go to the Baha'i temple in the northern suburbs of Sydney, uh, you'll find in the temple that uh, uh, they won't just have a Bible, um, but they'll have a Quran, they'll have a Bhagavad Gita and so on. So the Baha'i leaders were invited to help lead this Christian church service as were the Tibetan Buddhists. Uh, they were invited to help lead. Um, Tibetan Buddhism, of course, has a totally different um, understanding of the world and of life and of the spiritual reality and certainly uh, does not believe in Jesus as being the Son of God, the unique Son of God. Neither do the leaders of Judaism, who uh, we share in common the Old Testament but who have rejected Jesus as being the Messiah. And yet they were invited to help lead this Christian service in Canberra as well. What do you think about all that? Well, it's very politically correct, isn't it? It's the non-offensive, political correct thing to do. Um, and, but what it does, though, in the process is that at the very be- best a very foggy, a very blurry, a a very hazy picture of Jesus is presented uh, and uh, you'd say that Jesus is even dismissed uh, because Jesus is being treated as just one religious leader amongst many religious leaders. Nothing unique about Jesus. Although I seem to remember him saying something like, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Remember that? interesting to know what the Baha'is make of that verse if they claim that they believe that the Bible is also true. It was a political church service, so I guess we wouldn't expect too much more. But you know what? Even in church, we will sometimes come across people who have a very hazy, a very fuzzy vision of Jesus. It's quite possible for someone to come to church for years to listen to many a good sermon about Jesus but still not get it about Jesus, about who he is, about what he's done, about why Jesus is unique. In today's passage, Mark gets us thinking about people and the way that people respond to Jesus. What I want to do is I want to take us through the passage that uh, was read to us earlier on and the first person we meet is a gentile woman uh, in uh, chapter 7 verses 24 to 30. Now uh, Jesus and he has been ministering in the area around Galilee uh, but uh, he needed a break. He needed to get away from it all. He's not only perfectly God he's perfectly human and so he went to a, a place called Tyre And uh, apparently there was someone who had a house there that uh, Jesus was able to go to that person's house. And as he did so, we're told that a a woman who had a a daughter who was possessed by a a demon had heard about Jesus being there and that she came to Jesus to ask for him to drive out this demon from her daughter. Now, Tyre uh, is in modern-day Lebanon. And uh, in fact, it's quite interesting that um, this uh, particular incident here is the only incident in Mark's Gospel, and I haven't checked the other Gospels, but it's the only incident I'm aware of where Jesus actually travels internationally. That uh, Jesus has actually gone outside of the borders of ancient Israel and uh, has gone to uh, to Tyre. Now, the woman, we're told that she's a Greek. Uh, I think that means that she spoke Greek rather than that she's racially Greek because in the other gospel accounts she's said to be a Canaanite woman, which is that person racially from that area. But uh, like many others, she spoke Greek. And uh, we're told, told that she was born in Syria, Phoenicia, which is the uh, the, the ancient description of that part of, uh, of Lebanon. But what it means is that Jesus is now in Gentile territory, totally Gentile territory, and this woman is very much a Gentile. And that kind of helps us to understand a little bit about why Jesus responds to her in the way that she does because she comes to him with this uh, begging for help in respect to her daughter. Uh, But have a look at how Jesus responds to her in verse 27. In verse 27, he says this, he says... Uh, first let the children eat all they want, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Now, what do you make of that? sounds a bit harsh, doesn't it, what Jesus is saying? Um, Look, is is Jesus saying that her daughter is a dog? Um, There is, you know, in uh, Judaism, the Gentiles and dogs were often kind of equated together. Understand, if you went to the temple you know, where in the temple you've got the Holy of Holies and then you've got the court of the men and then you've got the court of the women and then you've got the court of the Gentiles. And uh, in the court of the Gentiles, if you were to walk from there into the court of the Jewish women, there'd be a sign there saying, you know, Gentiles and dogs, you know, enter here upon pain of death. So there was that equation of uh, Gentiles with dogs. It may also be, though, that uh, as was the custom, Jesus is in someone's house and uh, there may have been a family meal taking place and uh, it was customary for the, the household pets, pet dogs, to actually sit under. The Does your dog sit under your table at home if you've got a dog? Sometimes that's the case. And Jesus is saying that it's it's not right for the, the bread that belongs to the children to be fed to the dogs. And in that it seems that what Jesus is saying is that uh, he, being the bread of life, has actually come to minister and to serve to the, to the lost sheep of Israel, to minister to, to serve God's people first and then to serve the Gentiles. Now what's really uh, interesting about this particular incident is the way that the woman responds to Jesus. Um, it's astonishing, actually, if you have a look at verse 28, because she says, there, yes, Lord, but uh, uh, even the, um, the dogs uh, you know, can get the, uh, the crumbs that fall under the table. And what do you think of that response? I mean, it's interesting. She's not offended by what Jesus has said. She's actually respectful. She calls him Lord. In fact, she's very deeply humble, isn't she? She's saying, I really don't, I know I don't deserve this. Um, there's a touch in the sense that's actually quite a clever response as well, which I think impresses Jesus. But uh, what she's saying is that, you see, Jesus has tested her and he has found that she is humble, she's respectful, and uh, more than that, she trusts Jesus. She trusts that Jesus has the power of God to drive a demon out of her daughter. Uh, that Jesus is all-powerful to do that. Which is actually more than what we can say of the disciples. Because, um, have a look at this, in chapter 8, verses 1 through to 10, uh, they, they've gone back to the region of Galilee. Uh, so, it's a, <clears throat> so it's a different day. And uh, there's a large crowd of people who've gathered round to, to listen to Jesus. In fact, 4,000 men, and uh, I would suggest that would you know, be plus uh, women and children, um, as had previously happened. And um, that's a huge clout, crowd, isn't it? Uh, everyone, anyone ever been to the Ketunba Christian Conventions, a Ketunba Youth Convention, or Easter Convention, and there's thousands? It would be a bit like that, except there was no one rostered on to do the catering. Uh, these people had gathered with, around Jesus. They are in a remote place. Uh, They may not have expected to have been there for three days and they've run out of food and uh, people are starting to get a little bit hungry. And so Jesus speaks to his disciples in chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, and he says to them, he says, I've got compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. Now, if I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. And the response of the disciples is, well, we don't know what to do. I mean, how are you going to feed a mob like that? There's no food out here. Now, what do you make of that? I mean, in one sense, you can say, well, that's fair enough. I mean, it's a remote place. There's no takeaway stores. But hadn't they actually already experienced something a bit similar to this? Go back a page in your Bibles. Go back a page. Uh, when in chapter six, there was thousands of people, They're in a remote place. They've only got a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and guess what? Jesus fed the whole crowd by multiplying the food. See, the Gentile woman trusted that Jesus could overpower Satan and drive a demon out of her daughter who was at a distance, But it didn't even occur to the disciples that Jesus could manufacture bread, even though they had already seen him doing exactly that. So that's the disciples. Hold that thought. Thirdly, there are the Pharisees. Now, we read about them in chapter 8, verses 11 through to 21. Uh, Verse 11, some of the Pharisees uh, came to question Jesus. And they asked him to give them a sign from heaven. You know, give us a sign, Jesus. You know, you say that you're the son of God. You claim to have authority over things. Just give us a sign and then we'll know that you're a true prophet, you know. How does Jesus respond to them? Well, chapter 8, verse 12. Jesus says to them, uh, he sighed deeply. And he said, why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Why do they want Jesus to perform a miraculous sign? What's their motive? I mean, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law—they had already seen Jesus heal that. Um, remember that paralyzed man who was lowered down through the roof, you know, into the house in—I think it was in Capernaum. Um, they'd already seen, you know, remember the man who had the shriveled hand. And is uh, it the synagogue? It was a Sabbath, and Jesus healed him. Remember that they they'd seen that, hadn't they? And, and uh, in chapter three, uh, the teachers of the law they actually announced what their conclusion about Jesus and his healings were, and and his driving out of demons. Because in chapter three, the teachers of the law said that he drives out demons, sure, but by whose power? The power of Beelzebub, the power of Satan. They'd already made up their minds about Jesus. But here they're saying, oh, come on, give us a sign. (laughs) Give us a sign and we'll believe in you. Well, the signs have already been given. Another sign is not going to make any difference. So Jesus says to them, no, I'm not interested. No sign shall be given. And that's it. But what it does is it leads to a conversation with the disciples. Um, In verse 13, as I say, they're now back in Galilee. Jesus and his disciples, they they get into a boat and they cross over to the other side of the lake and the disciples have forgotten to to bring bread with them. They've got one loaf of bread, but that's not going to go around for all of them. So they've been a bit forgetful and they've forgotten about the food (laughs) that they're going to need. And then Jesus warns them, have a look at what he says in verse 15. He warns them in verse 15, he says, Be careful, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, I love to watch those cooking shows on SBS on Thursday nights. Do you like to watch those? Some of you, you do? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> there was a show I saw recently on uh, cooking in, in France. I've got to tell you, I think those I 'm really tempted to go to Paris just to go to one of those bakeries. I was talking to a guy last night who's just spent two, two weeks in Paris, and he said, "Oh, it 's beautiful in the morning. You go for a walk down the street, and just the, the aroma coming from these bakeries and the people walking out with their freshly baked bread and their espresso coffees and it's just just wonderful um, there's a fellow on the show who said that uh, his bakery, there's a baker, he said, in, in our bakery we've been using the, the uh, yeast, the uh, same yeast, for the past 70 years. So you know how yeast works, you know, you put some yeast in with the dough and add water and the yeast spreads throughout the dough because it, it's a living organism, it's a fungus, it spreads. Then you take some of that dough and you put it aside and you use that next time and you put the dough that's left into the, into the oven and bake the bread because yeast uh, works its way through the, the, uh, the dough because it's a living organism. And in the Bible, uh, sin and false teaching are viewed in that way. Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians says you know, that a little bit of yeast works its way through the whole batch of dough, so get rid of that sin, get rid of that false teaching in your church. And here Jesus is warning the disciples about the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. The Pharisees knew Jesus. They had seen his miracles but they hated him. Herod loved listening to John the Baptist teach. That didn't stop him from lopping off his head just to satisfy his wonderful wife and her dancing daughter. And friends, there are countless people who know about Jesus, who know what he's done, but reject him. What Jesus is saying to the disciples here is, don't let that yeast work its way through you, because guess what? Uh, They're in danger of that. Uh, In verse 16, they didn't have the foggiest idea what Jesus was talking about. Yeah, no, they they thought that he was concerned. He's they're, they're thinking, is he, is he worried that we haven't because we forgot the bread? We haven't got enough bread with us. Is that what he's concerned? Is that what he's talking about? And yet they had seen Jesus feed five thousand plus people from a few loaves of bread. They had just seen Jesus feed four thousand plus people from seven loaves of bread, and yet they're worried about the bread. They know Jesus better than anybody else. They have seen his miracles. They've had one-on-one contact with him, personal contact, over a number of years. And yet, where are they at? Have a look at what Jesus says in verse 17 uh, to verse 19. In verse 17, um, Jesus says, let me just grab it, in verse 17, Uh, Jesus says, do you still not understand? Are your hearts hardened? And get this, he says, do you have eyes but you fail to see? Ears but you fail to hear? And can't you even remember anything? Uh, What's going on here? Now, they just don't get it about Jesus, do they? And that's what Jesus is pointing out. Hold that thought. Because, friends, in this passage, there are two healings which take place. Two physical healings which help us to understand the spiritual situation of the disciples. The first healing is back in chapter 7, verses 33 to 37. Um, there was a man who was deaf and he could hardly talk. I, I, I wonder what that would be like to be deaf. I can't imagine it. Uh, You know, some of you, if you've got hearing aids, you say, well, I can tell you what it is. But this guy was completely deaf. He probably wasn't deaf when he was born because after he was healed uh, he understood language. He could talk straight away. Um, But he was deaf and he was um, unable to talk. So he couldn't communicate. People couldn't communicate with him verbally. He couldn't communicate with them verbally. Imagine his world. Uh, He would not have known very much about Jesus. Um, He would not have known why his friends were taking him to this man. He can only see what's going on. He can't hear. And so Jesus uses his sense of sight and touch to show him what's going on. He took him aside, we're told. He put his fingers into the man's ears. He spat and he touched the man's tongue. Jesus communicated. He communicated saying, I am concerned about your hearing. I am concerned about your speech. Let me do something about it. And then with a deep sigh, he said to the whole man, not just to his tongue, not just to his ears, but he said to the whole man, Ephatha. That's how you say it, Catherine be opened, be opened, and he was. Imagine that. Imagine the change in that man's life. I've got a friend who is completely blind. He sees nothing. Uh, After we'd been friends for a while, one, one day I invited him to touch my face put his hands over my face, fill my nose, my cheek, my chin, to feel my head, to run his hands down my body so that he could not only hear me, but he could actually get a bit of a picture of this tall, thin friend that he has. He's never seen his wife. Jesus, I think, uses touch to communicate to people whose senses otherwise are not working. And then here's this man in uh, uh, verse, chapter 8, verses 22 to 25. The second miracle is that of a blind man. Let's have a look at that. Chapter 8, verse 22. Um, it says, They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. It's very loving, isn't it? Very compassionate. And when he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus asked, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people. They they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened. His sight was restored. And he saw everything, what does it say? Clearly. Clearly, can Jesus send him home saying, Don't go into the village, don't tell others about this. You know it's an interesting miracle, this one, isn't it? Is there anything unusual about this particular healing that uh, sort of jumps off the page and kind of hits you across the face? It took two attempts, didn't it Roy was going to say that, yeah, yeah. He didn't just speak and it was healed. He, could, he just could utter a word, couldn't he? And it uh, would be healed. But no, he used physical means to express to the person what he was doing and make that quite clear. And it didn't quite work the first time, did it? It was a, kind of like a two-stage operation. Um, it, it's interesting to explore why that's the case. I mean. You know, after Jesus did that the first time, the man says, yeah, I can see, but it's all blurred. I can see people, but they look like trees that are moving around. And then Jesus had another go. It's a bit like, you know, my optometrists, you know, got to get my eyes checked and they set you up in front of this machine. They've got these, you know, letters in front of you and they whack down, you know, some lenses in front of you. How's that, Scott? Oh, yeah, I can read it sort of, A bit blurry, all right, whack that out, whack it out, ah, that's clear, you know, second attempt. Is it like that? Did Jesus fail the first time? No, I don't think so. Is Jesus in the habit of failing with miracles? No. This is the only time in Scripture that I can see where it takes a two-stage operation and you've got to ask the question, well, why is that the case? It seems to me that this is very deliberate. Because these two men, the two men that were healed, were just like the disciples. They were physically blind and deaf. Yet in verse 18, Jesus explicitly implies that it's actually the disciples who are blind and deaf. But they're more like the blind man who was partially healed. The disciples had had a better chance than anyone to know Jesus, certainly a much better chance than the Syrophoenician woman. They've heard his teaching, they've seen his miracles, they've known him one-on-one, and yet they still just don't get it. They do see him, but he's still fuzzy to them, blurry. They've got a vague idea about who Jesus is. Now, what is it that they need? Well, I reckon a miracle wouldn't go astray. And the miracle that is needed is the miracle of a new heart. And for the disciples, that would come. Uh, That would come on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was given to them and they could see Jesus clearly. They could understand, they could see, and their tongues were loosened that Peter would stand up before a whole crowd and proclaim Jesus as crucified and resurrected. But for now it's different. For now, Jesus seems even, in his human nature, exasperated by their lack of faith. And I wonder if we ever feel that way ourselves. Sometimes that there are people who we care for who have been taught the truth about Jesus, but just don't seem to get it or want to get it. It might be a son or a daughter. You've taught uh, the truth about Jesus, but they, it's in the head but not in the heart. Uh, it might be a husband or a wife or a close friend or a friend at school or even someone who we know who's maybe even sat through good sermons year after year after year and they, they've got a, a vague and fuzzy picture of Jesus, a good man, a spiritual teacher, a leader and so on, But although they see him, they do not see him clearly. And so even in church here, I've spoken to people who've sat through sermons for 15 years or so and still are unclear whether or not there's even such a thing as the afterlife. Still are unclear as to whether or not they're going to go to heaven or not. Still unclear about what Jesus has done on the cross. and they have no assurance of salvation. Which is the very reason why we pray for people, isn't it? Because we believe that, uh, that, well, the Bible teaches that, um, uh, that we are dead in our human natures, in our fallen nature, and that what is required is for God to enliven us by his Spirit, by his powerful Spirit breaking into our lives, unplugging those ears, opening those eyes, loosening the tongue so that we would understand, see and confess. And so because it is a miraculous work of God, therefore we ought to be viewing it as a spiritual matter and we ought to be praying to God, asking him to change the hearts of people, especially those we love. And I wonder, therefore, you might want to do some thinking about whether or not there's someone who you should be praying for in that regard. Maybe you've been praying for them in the past but have stopped praying for them. Maybe you're sporadic in your prayers for them. Keep praying for them. Now, what about that Christian service? Christian service in Canberra last week with the Baha'is, the Tibetan Buddhists, the uh, leaders of Judaism, and so on. How would you feel about that? If you were invited, would you go? Would you help lead it? Uh, would you protest about it? Well, there was one Christian, de- well, one one denomination that was absolutely outraged by this service and how it was organised. Um, they were so outraged that their official denominational body, made a decision to boycott the service. And that's why I heard about it, because it was in the, in the paper. You know, church boycotts church service. <laughs> but why were they outraged? Uh, was it because Jesus and his gospel were being blurred, even denied? Uh, did they boycott the service because it was just too big an umbrella, just too inclusive. You know what, I wish I could say yes to that, because they would be good reasons to not attend. But no, uh, this mainstream Christian denomination boycotted the service, uh, not because it was too inclusive, but because it was not inclusive enough. There were other religions that weren't invited. Their um, secretary, of the denomination, uh, said when interviewed, and I quote, the multi-faith aspects of the service had not been clearly evidenced. You've got the Tibetan Buddhists, <laughs> the Baha'is, the Judaism. What else do you want? Now well, you know what? The only thing that was not clearly evidenced was their lack of vision of Jesus. The only thing that was unclear was their lack of clarity. Of who Jesus is, of what He's done, and how He uniquely is the only way that any one of us can get to God. So we need to be praying, not just for individuals, but for whole denominations, that people would see Jesus, see Him clearly, trust in Him, and confess His name. So let's pray. Father, as we read about the disciples, we see the kind of responses that um, we see even uh, in people who we know, people who we hear of. Father, we thank you that uh, you do perform miracles, and particularly that miracle of spiritual hearing, spiritual sight, and the loosening of tongues to confess your name. We pray, Father, for ourselves that we would have a clarity about Jesus, that we would be not foggy or misunderstanding about who he is and his true nature and why he's come. Father, we pray for people who we know and love, who are still unconverted, although they've heard your word and they they know about Jesus. We pray for them, Father God, that in your mercy you would pour out your spirit into their lives that they would have a changed heart, that they would be granted vision and hearing and loosened tongues. We pray, Father God, for, the, um, for church leaders around our country, that they would lead from a gospel basis, that they would teach their people clearly about Jesus. And we pray that you would uh, take away that yeast that... Um, works its way through the whole batch of dough, that yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of of Herod that, that denies Jesus and spreads throughout churches. We pray that those who teach such things would be taken away from their positions. Father, we pray that in all things that many people would come to a clear understanding and a conviction of Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen.